Welcome, everyone. So good to be together uh, this morning. My name's Todd. If I haven't met you, I would love to at some point. If you're watching over in East Hall, just want to say welcome to you. If you're watching through live stream, we want to welcome you as well. And then, of course, everyone here in the sanctuary, so glad that you've joined us. Um, listen, as you walked in, it was very clear to you that this is not an ordinary week in the life of our church. And that's because it's actually an extraordinary week. We get to host Vacation Bible Camp, and we are going to see like over a thousand kids come through this building this week to hear about Jesus and to have a blast in their summer vacation. And it's going to be awesome. We, we ask you to pray for us, okay? Pray for everyone because that's a lot of kids, all right? But also, last week we asked uh, if you could volunteer. We needed still 100 volunteers last week. We're down to like just over 20 volunteers now, which means uh, we're close. But if you can volunteer, we'd love to have you. Caitlin Ramey and her team uh, uh, said that actually even if you can volunteer for like one or two days, that's better than nothing. So if you can, you can actually go out to the table out in the atrium or even sign up online. And then you can still sign up your kids or your grandkids or your cousins or your neighbor, whoever. Bring them all. It'll be great. All right. Listen, in 2019, we... Uh, we launched a theme, and our theme has been to make Jesus famous. And uh, the first thing, when, when you think of making Jesus famous to the world around you, the first thing many of us think of is that we are unqualified uh, to do that, just that. But I want to tell you, and we, we go, well, I can make Jesus famous, but first I need to like get into a Bible study for a long, long time, or I need to go to seminary and, you know, whatever, before I can actually make Jesus famous. Well, we feel like that's not what the Bible says about people who make Jesus famous. And so we started this series, and this series is called The Dirty Dozen. The Dirty Dozen, the whole premise of the series is this, that if you feel like you are an unlikely candidate to make Jesus famous to the world around you, then you are in very good company. So last week, Pastor Joe launched this series talking about Levi. This week, we're going to talk about, it gets a little dicier here, we're talking about the demon-possessed man. All right, that's, what we, that's where we'll be this week. So if you have your Bibles, you can actually turn them to Mark chapter 5. Uh, you can follow along on the screens in your Bibles or on the church app. So if you turn there, I will read through this story with us. Here's what it says, starting in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, that's Jesus and his disciples, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. 
and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Right? That is God's word for us this morning. That is a wild one. But let's check it out. There's uh, three points that I want to pull out of this passage. And here they are. There is a, a road of mer- uh, sorry, there is a road of evil, there is a collision of mercy, and then there's power in a story. All right, so there's the road of evil, a collision of mercy, and then there's power in a story. Okay, so first, the road of evil. Now, the, at first glance, if any of us were to be honest, we're reading about a demon-possessed man, and this is very difficult for us to relate with, isn't it? When's the last time that you ran into someone and identified them very clearly as being demon-possessed? It's, it's probably been a while, right? I mean, I, I can remember there's one time I think I may have experienced that. See, we have uh, a puppy that's a year and a half, and uh, there's been times throughout this puppy stage where I've wondered if there might be some evil spirits inside. But listen, the reality is, the truth is, that it's not a common conversation. Even in the church, we don't often talk about demon possession. Like, you're not in community group, and you go around and have prayer requests, and you go, I've got a prayer request. My cousin is uh, possessed by a bunch of demons. Would you pray? That's not, a, that's not a prayer request. People have a lot of questions if that's your prayer request. Because it's hard for us to relate with this. But listen, this passage is speaking of a demon-possessed man. It's in God's Word, which means it has something to say to us. And I think today what you might realize is this passage might be more relatable than you think. All right, so let's look at the description of this man. Let's, I'm going to read it again. It's in verses 3 to 5. It says, He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. Okay, so here's this man. He's living in a graveyard. No one wanted to be around him. No one could even control him to the point where they tried to shackle him with chains, but even then he would break through the chains. 
And, and not only that, but this man was miserable. It says that night and day he cried out in misery, cutting himself with stones. He was a hazard to everyone around him, and he was a hazard to himself. Let me ask you a question. How does any man get to that point in his life? Last week, just a little over a week ago, a man walked into a government building in Virginia Beach and went on a shooting spree, killing 12 people, injuring a whole bunch more. How does any one person get to that point in their life? A girl grows up in the church and in a Christian family, goes off to college, finds some friends that give her some pills that to tell her that it's going to take the stress off, only to find herself completely addicted to heroin and doing anything and everything, including lying, cheating, and stealing, destroying everything in her path just to get her next fix. How does anyone get to that point? A man gets married to the love of his life, builds a family, builds a career, and everything is going great, but one day decides that he's going to have an affair with a co-worker and potentially destroy his marriage and his kids for generations. How does anyone get to that point? How does anyone get to the point that this man is in in this passage? And I think the answer is this. Evil is like a road. And the road always starts somewhere. And it always starts with little decisions that seem harmless. And no one ever expects themselves to be where this man is at in this passage now. You see, this man didn't wake up one day and out of nowhere go, you know what, I think today's the day I'm going to sell my soul to the devil. No one does that. No one ever does it because evil is a road. And what he did, what this man did, is he took one step onto that road and the next step and then the next step before he found himself where he's at. Now, it was one thought at a time, one decision at a time, one compromise at a time until he got to this place that he never dreamed he would ever be in. You see, it's because evil is a road, and we don't know what decisions this man made to get himself to the point he's at, but all I can tell you is this. At one point, this man's life did not look a whole lot different than yours or than mine because evil is a road, and it has to start somewhere. And I think the Bible talks about that road in the book of James. So if you have your Bibles and you want to go to James 1, 14 and 15, or follow along on the screens. This is a description of the road. But each person, when he is tempted, sorry, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. That's the road in a nutshell. Okay, so no one wakes up one day and says, I'm, I think I'm going to make a devastating decision today. It never happens that way. It always starts small. It always starts with just one simple desire, just a thought in a mind. Now, I, I, uh, I work with marriage in our marriage ministry, and so I get the chance to work with couples all the time. 
And I've had the privilege of working with couples that, uh, that are recovering from an affair, which is a very hard thing. And every time I've talked to somebody who has had an affair, it is always very clear that they didn't wake up one day and think, I think I'm going to have an affair today. It was a long road to get to that point, and it started with usually just a simple desire, just like James says. And a lot of times that desire goes something like this. It's just a thought in your head, and here's what it is. I deserve to be happier than I am right now. And as soon as that thought goes in, if you let it linger, you begin to make decisions about that thought that can lead you down a road, and before you know it, you're doing things you never thought you would ever do. That's the road of evil. And listen, if you have ever had the thought in your mind at any point in time, I deserve to be happier than I am right now, then you have taken a baby step onto that same road that the demon-possessed man is on. He's just a lot further down. Because evil is like a road. No one ever thinks that they're going to be in that place. No one does. But that's where he's at. Listen, I think, I think the reason that anyone goes down that road far enough is because of this. Whatever you seek the most in your life always ends up being the thing that controls you. Right? So whatever you give your life to eventually will be the thing that controls and has the power over your life. So if you're, the thing you seek the most is career success, like that's what you want, you will start off making little decisions. And as you become successful, you will want more and more and more to the point where it will begin to control you and to the point where you will give up anything and everything, including your very own family, just to be successful in your career. It's because whatever you give your life to, you seek the most, always has the power over you. And so what I want us to know today is this that any single one of us could be on this road. We don't know, for this demon-possessed man, we don't know what it was that he was desiring the most. It doesn't tell us what it is. But all I know is that at one point, he set out to seek something. And now, we know this very clearly, it controls him completely. Right? None of us are exempt from being on this road at some point. And I think we are closer to being on this road than any of us would care to admit. Right? So that's the first point is that evil is a road, the road of evil. The second point is that there is a collision of mercy that happens in this passage. Now, I, uh, I, I know all of us live in Northeast Ohio, so most of us know how to drive in the snow. Right? We know how to drive in the snow because we live in Northeast Ohio. So this past winter, there was a lot of snow on the roads, and I would be driving every once in a while, and I would see a lot of cars crash on the side of the road. And I, I have to admit to you today, I've had judgmental thoughts about those people because I'm like, you live in Northeast Ohio. Don't you know how to drive in the snow? Well, don't have those thoughts. All right, because one night I was coming home, I think it was February, I was coming home from a soccer game, and it had snowed quite a bit. 
And, you know, but I'm thinking, I live in Northeast Ohio. I've lived here my whole life. I know how to drive in the snow. And I'm driving along. I'm taking my time. But, you know, I know how to drive. I got complete control of the vehicle. Until all of a sudden I hit a patch of ice and I lost all control. I spun out at a 180 and right on Route 8, I, I smacked right into the cement barrier. And luckily I was fine, but my car, not so much. Right, but there's the pr- one problem that happened. See, I thought I was in complete control of my car, but I wasn't. And then whenever you start to go down the road of evil, there is a lie that you believe. Everyone believes this when you go down that road. And that's that you are in complete control of everything. You've got this. And you will carry that lie as far as it can possibly take you until you reach a point where you realize you do not have as much control as you once thought you had. And sometimes it takes a collision. Sometimes it takes a collision. And that's what we see in this passage. So let's go back to our passage in verse 6. The demon-possessed man has this collision. It says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. I want you to see the power in what happens in this. This is a man who no one could control. This is a man who they tried to chain down with chains and shackles, but he just broke through them. No one can control this man until he runs into Jesus. And he finally meets the only one who has more power than the sin and the evil that has power over him. And he falls, he stops in his tracks, and he falls to his knees in complete submission to Jesus. Listen, when you meet the real Jesus, you will finally understand that you are powerless to control your own life. And I also believe that when you finally get to the place where you feel like you are powerless to control your own life, you are poised and ready to meet the real Jesus. That's what we see in this passage. But it goes on, and he has this conversation with a demon-possessed man. And here's how it goes, verse 7 to 12. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. All right, so there's something really interesting about this conversation. And that's that Jesus, during this whole conversation, does not know who he's talking to. Is he talking to the demons or is he talking to the man? Sometimes it says he referring to the man. Sometimes it says they. Sometimes it says my. Sometimes it says we. And it's like at any given point, you don't know who it is. Is it the man or is it the demons? Here's my point. Whenever you go down the road of evil, if you go far enough down, it always leads you to becoming two different people. At least two different people. It leads you to being living a double life. That's what evil does. Now listen, you've all seen this too. Have you ever seen somebody that is really struggling from decisions they have made? 
then what happens is you see, you never know which person you're going to see. You always see two different people. Sometimes you're like, that, yeah, that's the one I know. Sometimes you're like, no, I don't even know who you are anymore. And that's because if you go far down that road of evil, it always leads to an identity crisis. People don't know who you are anymore. You don't even know who you are anymore. And I think that's what we see in this passage. Now listen, uh, it, the, he, he asks them a question, and the question is this. Look at verses 9 and 10. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And, and he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. All right, so Jesus asked this man a question, and his question is, what is your name? Now, names in this time really were everything for your identity. It wasn't just a name. What Jesus was asking him was, who are you? And maybe even a better way to say that is, do you even know who you are? Because I can't even tell who you are. And the man answers, my name is Legion, for we are many. And you can see even in his answer that it's the man that's trying to answer, but it's the demons that are actually answering for the man. Remember what I said earlier, it's whatever the thing you seek the most in your life is the very thing that will end up having the power over you. And not only that, but once you go far enough down that road, it's that thing that you seek that will begin to answer everything for you. It begins to make decisions for you. That's the ugliness of the road. Roger Clemens was one of the greatest pitchers of all time. And he got to a, a place in his career where he had accomplished so much, but he was starting to get older. And so he decided, to, allegedly, he has taken performance enhancing drugs late in his career to try to prolong his career because he ran out of gas. That's what, that's what old people do, all right? But he went on in, in what happened with Roger Clemens is that he gave his life to baseball. He gave his life to baseball. So what would make Roger Clemens do something even illegal just to continue to be good at baseball is because it was everything to him. If you ever ask, if you ask Roger Clemens back in the day, who are you? It's not Roger Clemens that's answering. It's baseball that answers for him. And he'd say something like, I am baseball. That is, that is how I'm defined as being a good baseball player. Whatever you seek the most in your life has the power over you. And Jesus is asking, I believe, the same question to you and I. He's asking you, what is your name? Who are you? Do you even know who you are? And so whatever you seek the most has the power over you. So how are you going to answer that question? Maybe you would answer that question by saying, I am my success in my career. I am the success of my kids. I am my body image. I am the person that is, if I'm accepted by people, that's who I am. And whatever your answer to that question reveals something about you. But what Jesus is trying to say, I think, in this passage, what this passage is trying to tell you and I is this. There is only one thing you can give your life to that can give you an identity both now and forever, and that's Jesus. It's the only thing. So this passage 
goes on. And look, look at what happens. Verse 12, he says, it says, And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. It's quite a wild story. You can only imagine that kind of scene. But listen, this demon-possessed man had a collision with mercy. He came into contact with the only person who had the power over him. And that person, Jesus, used his power to show the greatest act of mercy. He cast the sin and the demons off of him into the pigs, and they ran off over the cliff. And I think it's interesting that it says that they ran off. It's a weird story. They ran off over a cliff and into the sea. And the reason, what I kept thinking as I read that is every road of evil ends with a cliff, doesn't it? Every road of evil ends with a cliff. And it's either going to be that you go over the cliff or something happens with your sin. You see, for this man, this man had a sin problem. It was a sin problem. And someone had to deal with his sins. And he confronts Jesus, and Jesus wants to deal with his sins, but his sins can't just disappear into thin air. Someone has to deal with his sins. Someone has to take them. And so Jesus takes every decision this man ever made, every evil thought, every deed, all the evil that was contained in this man, and he casts it into the pigs, and they fly over the cliff into the depths of the sea. See, you and I have a problem too. It's a sin problem. And either we are going to go off of the cliff in our sins, or we are going to allow Jesus to deal with our sin. And I think what you see in this passage is a picture of what Christ has done with our sin, the way he dealt with our sin. Because that is what, what happened at the cross, is that just like the pigs, Jesus has taken your sin and my sin on himself. And he took them to the cross, and he died the death we should have died. And he died a painful, excruciating death, both physically and spiritually, in order to take our sin. The Bible says he became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. So we could be free just like this man in this passage. And so listen, all of us could be somewhere on the road to evil, but you know what? That road ends with a cliff. And you can have a collision with mercy today, and here's the collision. Either you decide to go over the cliff in your sins, or you believe that what Jesus did for you is he took all your sins on himself and he threw himself over the cliff and into the depths of the sea to bury your sins forever because that's available to you. Micah 7.19 actually says, you will cast all of our sin into the depths of the sea. It's a biblical picture of what Christ has done with our sins if you don't know Christ today, if you're not a Christian, what I would tell you to do is would you see the mercy of Jesus in this story? That no matter wherever you're at on that road, it doesn't matter. You don't even have to be very far down that road. 
Would you see that at any point you can accept the mercy of Jesus, that he has dealt with your sins, and that you can be forgiven, you can get off that road at any point? Because it's only the mercy of Jesus that can cast your sin into the depths of the sea forever. See, the only thing that you can give your life to that can give you a complete identity both now and forever is Jesus, and that's what this passage is telling us. There's a road to evil. There is a collision of mercy. But the third point is that there's power in a story, and I love how this story ends. Let's look at it. Listen, this man became completely healed. He was in his right mind. Everybody was blown away, and here's what happens. Let's look at 18 to 20. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. I love this story because as soon as this man is healed, he's like, Jesus, can, can I hang out with you now? Can I, be, can I come into your little club now? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Your story is way too good to keep to yourself. You have got to go tell your story. And he became what seems like the first missionary to the Gentile world. The Decapolis was like 10 cities that were cultural centers in the Gentile world. And he became one of the first people to make Jesus famous in that world. All because Jesus said, go tell your story. If you've been struck and impacted by the mercy of Jesus, he wants you to tell your story. Right, there was a woman who came up to me uh, a little over a year ago after one of our services here. She came up to me and she said, listen, my husband has left us, me and my kids, he has uh, gone off the deep end. He's having an affair. Looks like our marriage is going to end. She was devastated, and I, I wanted to weep with her right there and then. And uh, she was in a horrible spot, but all the while, I didn't even know this at the time, about six months after this uh, husband was running away from God, he, hit, he had a collision of mercy. He ran smack dab into the one who had the power over him, and that was Jesus, and he realized that Jesus used his power to forgive him, and so he came broken back to his wife and knocked on her door and sought forgiveness, and in time, his wife forgave him, and God has reconciled their marriage. We went into, we actually met them at Reengage, which is our marriage ministry here, and they came in to Reengage, and we asked them to rate their marriage. They said it's at a one right now, because we're here. But then throughout the process, God rebuilt their marriage, completely restored it, and now this couple, they told me to share their story. Because this couple feels like they are defined by the mercy of Jesus. It's everything to them. And here's the greatest part about this story, is that they knew that the very first thing they needed to do was tell their story, because it had power. And so this couple now are leaders in our marriage ministry. They are with other couples, and they are telling their story. So the other couples might not go down the same road that they went on. If you have been moved and changed and transformed by the mercy of Jesus, God wants you to tell your story. 
the dirty dozen. Listen, this is a man who no one wanted to be around, no one could even control, and God used him to be the first missionary to the Gentile world. If you ever think that you are unqualified, that you are an unlikely candidate for God to save, for God to use, you are in good company. Let's go from here and make Jesus famous. Let me pray. Father, you are so good to us because you have given us Jesus. And Lord, I know today I am defined by the mercy of Jesus and nothing else. Lord, I pray that you would help if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus, maybe today they would have that collision of mercy and realize the power that Jesus has to save them, to deal with their sins. Stop us in our tracks. Bring us to our knees with your goodness. And may we leave here today, those of us who have experienced that mercy, sharing our story and making Jesus famous. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all of this. Amen.